Welcome to the USU Career Studio podcast that helps you navigate your career path. If you enjoyed this episode, make sure to tell your friends and family all about it. Subscribe to our podcast on Apple, Spotify, YouTube, or anywhere else you listen to get access to our newest content. Thanks for joining us for our Friday face-to-face episode. I'm Marissa Armistead, your host, and I am so excited to have Briar Doherty here with me today. Welcome, Briar. Thank you. Briar is the founder and CEO of Career Organic, a professional development company focused on -on one-on-one coaching, candidate branding and bios, and group coaching for professionals across multiple life stages. Over the last two decades, she has been supporting a global clientele of professionals and entrepreneurs in navigating life and career complexities, preparing for transitions, and identifying opportunities for advancements in their lives, careers, and businesses. After a decade of successfully navigating her career in New York City, Briar ventured to Metro Atlanta. In her corporate career, she specialized in regional business growth and talent development, acquisitions, startup business strategy, and executive team building. Briar is passionate about giving back to her community and is the chief operating officer for an Atlanta-based nonprofit. So Briar, as you mentioned, uh, you were scouted for college while in high school. So is that something that you pursued? Do you still play? Talk to us about basketball. (laughs) Sure. I loved basketball. I was a freshman starter in high school. And so I was that rare bird that was teased by the seniors and fun times throughout (laughs) my high school career. And in my junior year, I started getting scouted by, by colleges. And I ended up actually not going to college for basketball. I decided I didn't want another four years of having to play and more wanted the fun of the game back. And, and so I ended up going to New York City for a program rather than for basketball. But uh, it was the Fashion and Suit Technology and they asked me to play. And I went to one practice where they started their practice by um, doing half court shots. And I said, oh, no, not, <laughs> not what I'm looking for. I, I'm, I'm definitely a, a competitor. I really, really love basketball. So I just tool around a little bit. Uh, when I lived in New York City, I did a lot of pickup games and got even better. So, but now I, I have, you know, a couple of small hoops for me and my kids. <laughs> That's awesome. Well, and I'm curious, so looking back, what role did you see kind of confidence play? Or I guess, you know, was that kind of one of the first stepping stones of when you were like, okay, this is how I develop confidence. So talk to us about the role of confidence in playing sports. Sure. So I, I ended up becoming the, the team captain or co-captain. There were, there were two of us in our senior year. But being a freshman starter, and I was the only one that went from eighth grade ball directly into varsity without having to do any JV whatsoever. Wow. So I never played a, a game of JV. And I had to have confidence in myself first uh, because a lot of people were angry with me. It was really interesting time to be that person where you'd think you'd be celebrating being on varsity and having accomplished something like that. But the seniors that I kicked off the starting team and my peers that were my same age really didn't like the fact that I was there. And so I always looked from inside out first was, you know, what am I going to contribute to this team by being here and not letting my ego get in the way of that, as well as the perceptions of others become my own. 
Absolutely. Well, I think this is a great segue into what we're going to be chatting more about today. Uh, This month, we're talking all about building confidence in our careers. You know, oftentimes when you're fresh out of college or or high school, you feel probably less than confident in your abilities as a professional. So that being said, Briar, I know that you have a really, really interesting story about how you worked your way up the corporate ladder very quickly as a very young professional. So to start us off today, I'd love for you to take us back in time to your management position at Crunch Fitness. So go ahead and set the scene for us. Talk to us about how you got into a management position so early on in your career. Sure. So I'd have to say that first and foremost, being a captain on my basketball team really set the stage for kind of that ownership piece, wanting to help people grow, being that support system, being the shoulder for people to come up to. And so when I was in New York City, I was going to college full time. So I took about 17 to 21 credits a semester, which is crazy to think about right now. And I worked full time. And so I just wanted to make money. I wanted to have independence. Uh, I didn't want to see my parents struggling to send me money. I was living in New York City. So things are expensive. The cheapest place, right? <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So so I said, I want, I want some spending cash. So I went and I got a job. Uh, it was a Bed Bath & Beyond or something like that in New York City. And I wasn't making a lot of money and I was working my tail off. And I'm like, oh, I can't, I can't do this. Uh, and so I was speaking to a girlfriend in class and she, her boyfriend was running a crunch fitness and it was 59th street locations. One of the largest, it's the second largest in New York city or it was at the time. And she said, Hey, why don't you, you know, interview for this front desk job. And so I went to the interview. Uh, I nailed the interview again. I came from health and fitness. I had trained in a weight room for college basketball, which I thought I was going to be playing. And so I I was very impassioned when it came to fitness. And so that came across during my interview, which was perfect because it, it gave me something that I had already done for years. And then I'm interviewing against that. So it fit really well. So that couldn't have lined up better for me. And so I got the job. I was working at front desk for about two months and I just started moving. I started helping out wherever I could. I was great with the customers. I was helpful with the management staff. I helped the PT department. And the manager came up to me one day and said, Hey, I I just, I see that you are trying really hard. You're really helpful. And I'd like to promote you to a manager on duty and give you a little bit more responsibility. And so I took manager on duty to the next level, then got the assistant manager position. And then after that, I got transferred to the largest facility in all of Manhattan. And I was the assistant general manager down there. I was still in college. And they told me that I was not allowed to get my own club until I graduated college. And so the year that I was going to graduate was the year they gave me my own club. It was the Soho location. And the confidence piece for me was really big because most of my supervisors were 20 years older than me at that point, looking down at me like, you are young, you're ambitious, and that's all fine, but you have to work hard to get to where we are. And so I was constantly kind of challenged more than I'd say my peers who were older than me, because there was a lot more expectation or a lot more proving myself. And so again, I would say I looked internally for myself and said, what can I add as a big value to this organization, to these customers or clients, or you know, you call them members, what can I add to them that 
makes me fit in here where I don't have to prove myself to them to do a good job. And, and that was, I think, one of the first times I saw, I went from, you know, the, the basketball team where the, the coach was always saying, Briar's great. This is, you know, please listen <laughs> to her. And, and I had that support. Whereas in corporate career, I didn't have bosses that were supporting me in that way. They were constantly looking at me like I was going to fail one of these days. And it wasn't ego from a confidence standpoint. It was really a, if I can provide value to the people that we are serving, I will naturally see whether I'm doing a good job or not. And that was the proving and tipping point for me. Well, and I really love this idea of adding value as opposed to just working hard because I think you can work really hard in a, a position or in a job, but if you don't if you don't have that added meaning of why you're doing it, I think sometimes you don't take it to the next level. So I really appreciate that. I have to pause though for a moment because um, you mentioned that at this time you're you're going to school full time, and by full time. I would add you to that category of um, crazy student by yourself. Like the 17 plus credits is a little bit crazy. It um, is. So then to add on a full-time job, talk to us about some of the, the challenges that you face there and how you dealt with them or, or managed them. Sure. It was, I, I look back now where I am in my career and where I was then. And that was the point in time where I had to prioritize it forced me to prioritize. And I feel like if that hadn't happened, I may have not pushed myself as hard later in life. And so I did have 17 to 21 credits per semester. I had this full-time job where I had to pick classes specifically like in the morning or, you know, really knock them out between like eight and one o'clock. And then I did the night shift, which was like a three in the afternoon to 11 closing time. And so I wasn't getting back home until at least after midnight. And then on the weekends, I would babysit for extra cash. <laughs> and so what I had to do was, okay, if I'm working five days a week or four days a week or however long the shift was that, that created this full-time capacity for me, it was literally writing out my entire week, every single week. When was I going to do my projects? When did I do my homework? In New York City, I lucked out because you have to take trains a lot. And so I was able to knock out a lot of work on the train because I actually get motion sickness. So if I was in a car, I would have never been able to do this. So the train was perfect. I could sit there. I could put headphones in. I could zone out get my stuff done on say my 30 minute commute up to the club and then the same thing coming back down. And so I literally built in time for every single thing that I had to get done. And it, it set me up for so much success later in life uh, that I didn't even know I was doing at that time. Crazy, but amazing. I love that. <laughs> So, so after graduating, I know that you, you took on several different management positions with, with a few different companies. Um, so talk to us in depth about some of those experiences and, and also the skills that you were learning during that time when you were doing heavily, heavily involved in this management side of business. Sure. sure. So after Crunch Fitness, I took a job working with Saks Fifth Avenue and another company was a vendor within Saks Fifth Avenue. And it was the salon and spa at Saks Fifth Avenue. It's a 10,000 square foot facility. I had a staff of 135 and I was, I think I was like 23 around this time. And so 
the big lesson there, because I, I actually grew into a regional management role. So, so I became an area director. I took over four locations and then I did really well there. I was, I, I reversed a deficit of $250,000 when I took over that location. And I course corrected that within seven months into profitability. Wow. <laughs> and so it was a big operations and sales management role and, and focused on talent development and curating, you know, teams that really worked together and inventory management, all of this stuff that I had learned actually at Crunch Fitness in smaller regards because it wasn't that big a, um, of a staff. I think my staff at Crunch was like 55 or 60. And so I doubled it literally overnight. And so the skills that I learned were first being young, I had to learn that I could not be everybody's friend. That was number one. I will say from Crunch Fitness to Saks Fifth Avenue, first, the clientele is a lot different. So the expectations are much, much higher at Saks Fifth Avenue, not only from the executives that you're working with, but also the clientele. So you have to act the part. And, and that part for me was, was the biggest adoption. It was, okay, I can't be the, the fitness girl who can be in my jeans and my high heels. I need to be in, in uniform. I need to kind of tote the company slogan. And I also need to make sure that I'm motivating teams. And I can't do that by being their friend. I have to be their leader. I had to show them that not only do you have to wear black and white, but I wear black and white. And this is how I bring my personality to work. And this is how we treat our customers. And that piece was probably the biggest skill set that I had to learn from completely like crunch fitness back in the day had cardio striptease as one of the classes. So, I mean, we were fun and funky and just lively <laughs> bunch and we were family. And I had to recreate that family within Saks Fifth Avenue in a much stuffier environment. And, and there's nothing wrong with that environment. I loved it. And I loved the juxtaposition between my roles. However, you could not be friends you had to be the leader. You had to be setting expectations very clearly because that's a skill set that I picked up there that I've taken and I run in my own company, the nonprofit. Expectations are completely clear and set up front. So that is kind of over the course of those years working with them, I learned if I didn't set expectations or I wasn't clear on my expectations, I wasn't communicating and I wasn't helping the team achieve what our goals were. That's so interesting. And it makes me think of kind of a hot topic right now, which is, you know, evaluating company culture before you sign on as an employee. And I think it's really interesting to hear from that perspective, especially the contrast of kind of these two different positions and, and just looking at the culture and how that, that shapes your role as well within the company. So I think that's a really interesting insight. And it kind of leads me to my next question, which is, kind of looking at, so you're doing these management positions, different management positions, but you're doing some of these management experiences. And then you move to an opportunity um, with JCI Atlanta as the VP of community service and development. So I'm curious, what was it like transitioning from the management side of things to kind of more the community relationship side? Sure. So a couple of things there. Um, number one, if I can add in just my, my tidbit about culture yeah. is when I'm working with professionals and I'm coaching them on, you know, their job search or a career transition or how to look at things, I'm a big reframer. And 
if I could take a moment to reframe what culture really means, I, I think this is really important for, for all professionals at all levels. I don't care if you're just starting out, if you're in an internship, because I hear awful stories about people going after culture before they go after the job. And so my coaching is go after the job, the title, the role, what you want to be doing, and then evaluate the culture while you're interviewing. Because you can be working for a company or interviewing with a company that is well known for culture, but culture is made by the people that are there. And if you have a horrible boss, that culture on that team is going to be horrific. So your girlfriend or your friend that's down the cubicle like 20 feet might have a different boss and they might have their after parties and fun virtual, you know, networking sessions with each other on Friday nights. That's great. But yours might not be that. So I always tell people, don't look at the company. Always interview across the board in multiple companies, multiple roles. And then there's some excellent questions that you can ask to actually get the meat of what the culture in that team is. So now love that. My move, my move down to Atlanta is interesting. So I, my time was numbered up at Saks Fifth Avenue. Um, they had unfortunately let go of my VP uh, who was right above me. And so I knew that there was kind of a team shift and organizational shift happening. And so I started interviewing. I actually took a role in Atlanta it was not JCI and moved down here. I was here for two weeks and they said, I'd like to move you to DC first to open the DC market and then move you back to Atlanta. And I had been in New York City during 9-11. Um, I had you know, been watching a basketball game with my, my neighbor one night downtown and we were evacuated from the bar because of a potential car bomb. And I said, I don't really want to move to the nation's capital. I think I'm good. Um, and so I declined the job. So I was in a new market, no network connections. No, I knew no one. I had no friends, literally no one and had to rebuild. And so JCI came about, I was networking with some, some neighbors and one of my neighbors took me to uh, a JCI meeting, which is, it's a huge professional group. Um, and we were the Atlanta chapter. And I went there and just fell in love with the people. It was amazing networking. I had never experienced this in New York City. So the warmth and like the genuine interest in each other was like, oh, I've found my home. And so I started going a lot more to these meetings and, and really enjoying the speakers and all of this. And so I started networking and I actually ended up getting a job with Aveda and that's where I continued my career and, and kept going, but then became additionally the VP of, of Community Development and Service for JCI Atlanta and loved it. I absolutely loved it because my, my job was to find volunteer opportunities for professionals, busy professionals who wanted this to be a part of their lives, but didn't have the time to find it, source it, or actually plan themselves to do it. So putting it on a calendar for them and this membership to come together, it was amazing. And, and really that, that was the notion for me that led me into actually wanting to be a part of a nonprofit. So it all all of these interesting, um, you know, pivots kind of have built where I am today. And I've, I've capitalized on them. You know, I, I've really enjoyed what I've done and be very, very intentional about those choices. So going from a management position into a, it's still a leadership position, but it was to empower people 
yes, for their professional growth, but primarily for their personal development and like that holistic viewpoint of a professional, which I just, I adored. That's so interesting. Well, and so I'm pausing for a minute and thinking at any point in any of these positions, did you ever feel like an imposter? Like you weren't qualified, you shouldn't have been there. Were there ever feelings of that? From time to time, I get those feelings. Uh, The difference that I would say for me is I don't let that voice have space in my head. So I'm allowed to say those things. And, and I actually teach this. So, so it's a, it's, I call it like this thought pattern process, right? And so you have a thought and you have to accept that you actually think it, right? So like people, they'll, they'll say, oh, I just, I don't belong. And I hear this a lot is I don't belong. I, I just, I don't know enough to be here. Everybody's looking at me from, you know, like, like, why are you here? And, and so we have this thought and a lot of people go immediately into trying to erase the fact that they've ever had the thought. And so it just lingers inside them. And that's what like, it's like the pebble in your shoe. It gets bigger and bigger until you have a blister or a hole or a cut. And and that's really what's happening internally to a lot of people nowadays. And so for some reason with me, and I think it's because of being in all of these situations from such a young age. I mean, I was, what is it? 14, 14. Yeah. When I was a, a freshman starter and people were like, we don't like you here. And it was like, well, that's too bad. I'm contributing to the team. And so I had grown up just having to not let those thoughts have space in my head. And I realized what I was actually doing and that's how I'm able to teach it now. But yes, I had those thoughts. And yes, I was like, I do think that, you know, oh my goodness, I don't have a network down here. I'm never going to make it or I'm never going to rebuild to be a regional manager again because I had to start over. I had to start as a general manager and work my way back up in a new market. And yes, those thoughts came, but I shut them down. It was, it's okay, but do you want to feel like that? And that's the question at the end you ask yourself. And no, I didn't, I did not want to carry that, that baggage around. I wanted to have the hope. I wanted to have the, the positivity. And it's not positive thinking. It's reality. It's what am I going to make my reality? And being in a negative thought when you're already lonely, you have very little friends, very little network. Didn't, it was the first time I had owned a car ever in my life. So now I've got to drive everywhere. It took a lot of power, but I absolutely had to accept that I had the thought and then immediately ask myself, do I really want to continue feeling like this? And the answer was always no. I love that insight. And I think that's a really great approach of, like you said, not ignoring those thoughts, but actually confronting them saying, hello, like I see you there. Um, but, right. and then adding the, but I don't want to continue feeling that way and dismissing it. And, and I that's think right. that's such a powerful, powerful approach. So love that Thank thought. <laughs> so I want to jump ahead a little bit in, in your career timeline uh, to the career coaching business that you started in 2013. So I'm curious, where did this, this idea come from? And we've kind of seen a, a built progression as you've kind of walked us through some of the previous jobs, but talk to us about this next jump. Sure. So being a young professional, I had garnered a lot of experience already. And so by the time 2013 came, I had my son and I didn't want to go back to work. I wanted to work, but I didn't want to go back to my corporate job. And, and I had loved that job. It was, it was an advertising and marketing firm, really large advertising and marketing firm. I worked right underneath the president of the company. Um, I did account management sales and I was working with gym owners, which was awesome. It was, 
it was a really great role, but I didn't want to have to drop him off at daycare and go into the office. And, and I was having this like internal struggle and I had clients already. So I had been doing resumes. I had been doing coaching, like interview prep coaching all on the side for friends, family. And then that turned into referrals and, hey, you need to talk to Briar about this or, you know, a friend would refer a friend. And, and so I had a very small, tiny, little, you know, sole proprietorship and was doing this. And I said to myself and I said to my husband as well is, what if I did this? Like, this is my passion. Like, I love it. It doesn't feel like work to me when I'm doing this and I'm good at it. And he agreed and said, Hey, I think, you know, you could definitely make something of this. And so I dabbled my foot in and it just continued to grow. And so that was my transition from corporate America into my own. And it is, it's a solopreneurship. And that was 2013 really saying, I'm not going back. And this is what I'm going to try and do. And we'll see what happens. So then in, in 2017, you kind of run into a wonderful problem. You, you have too many clients at this point. So you decide to transition from this personal, small little business where you're working one-on-one with these clients to actually hiring a team, expanding um, into career organic and, and what it is today. So talk to us about that process and the excitement and also the, the challenges that you face there. <laughs> Absolutely. So it was interesting. Uh, it was really nice being busy and I was also a you know a young mom. I had young kids and and by this time my daughter was born now. So I had like what a 2 and 2 year old and like a almost 5 year old and and I'm like I want to spend time with them too. Like I didn't want to be working 40 hours. And so it made sense for that reason to expand and then it made sense that I had been doing such a good job with my clients and giving them this really catered service that I allow myself to reach more people. And I can't do that physically just by myself. And so I started to very slowly hire a team, you know, a couple of different writers. Then it was, you know, an operations person or an admin person. And then they just kept growing and growing. And and now we have a team of about 35 people and some are part-time, some are full-time and different writers, different coaches. And so we're able to offer more. But the goal of all of that was really to be able to reach more people. And I am hardcore with my team that this is not just a sales business. This is, they're going to get the same opportunities, the same service as, as I gave them when I was a solopreneur. And so it, it, we are very, very intentional. Every single person on the team has to have that motto or else they don't join the team. So that, that was probably the biggest challenge for me is going from, you know, I was a solopreneur and now I'm an owner and I have to delegate. I have to allow other people to shine and, and, you know, work through their mistakes. And I love it because it's brought me back to my years at Saks Fifth Avenue, growing a huge team and, and different personalities and virtual because I had 10 locations when I worked in New York City. For Saks, at the end, I had ten locations, so they weren't all in the same state. So I was constantly virtual with a lot of my teams. So it's it's kind of taken me back to that place. Which seeing people grow on my team, it's it's magic. I love it. So not only do we get to grow a team internally, and and I coach just about everyone, but you're also getting to to work with clients at a high level. And, and I'm very intentional about our pricing too, so that we can work with more people. So 
I love those, those insights. And, and it's interesting, like, as we're talking about starting a business, so my husband and I, we took the plunge and he, he runs his own basketball business, but you know, especially in the early stages, and I would say we're still in the early stages of being business owners, but in those early, early on stages where we were putting down, you know, as college students, we were putting down every cent we had towards this business. We, you know, were fingers crossed that the clients were going to come, that the marketing was going to work, that the services were good enough and, and all of those different pieces. And I'm curious, you know, for you, how did you maintain the vision of of this company in the early stages of development? I didn't get robust quickly. So I would say, and and I do coach entrepreneurs. so, So this is something that I talk about a lot, but I knew my business model. And if you don't know your business model when you start, that's when things get crazy. My business model was resumes, cover letters, LinkedIn. That was the core business is our brand. We call it branding. It's our professional branding business. And that is our function. And so the coaching was secondary to begin with. Coaching for me now is primary. So I've been able to give the branding piece to a very adept team. And I continuously train them and oversee quality and things like that. And I come in on very difficult projects because there are professionals who have very niche roles that make sense to only a few people. And so I'll, <laughs> I'll help them on those. However, I was able to step away. And once I was able to step away, I was able to add on to our operating model or what we were going to provide as an additional service. And so each step has been, if I can hand something off, I can take something on. Then when I get to hand another thing off, I get to take that next step. And so now I get to run my own entrepreneur business, which is entrepreneur coaching and complex career transitions because I'm a certified life coach as well. So I can, I can kind of go back and forth and really look at the holistic client on a very hard problem or comprehensive issue, or even I work with couples as well. So I haven't been able to do that. And that wasn't my initial vision. It's really as I was able to gain traction with the team and the people that we had in place, I'm able to then start to vision the next couple of years down the road. I love that. And I love this idea of asking yourself, which hats am I currently wearing in my position or in my company? And which hats do I maybe not need to be wearing at this point? And learning how to delegate and let go of pieces. And and that's a hard thing, I think, to let go of the baby that you've created and say, I trust you to to carry out this piece. But I think it's- and, And a big part of that though, and I think this is where a lot of entrepreneurs go wrong, is you have to allow people to fail. So you set clear expectations, knowing they may fail and they may not do it as good enough or as good as you or how you'd like it, but it doesn't mean you can't grow them. It's finding the person with the right attitude or right skill set. So skill set, meaning like my director of operations, she comes from a tech background. So she worked in technology. Well, guess what? She's very process oriented. So I know how her brain works. That is a great skill set to have for a director of operations. She knew nothing about the career coaching business or career navigation or anything like that. I can teach that all day, every day, but I needed the attitude to be there. She's purpose-driven. She wants to perform for people. She really wants to provide great service. And then additionally, she's got that process mind. And I think entrepreneurs are looking for people that have the exact match a lot so that they can just hand it off and not have to teach. You're always, always teaching. So if, you, if you're an entrepreneur and you don't like teaching, 
you need to find a partner that does. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> there you go. There you go. <laughs> oh, such great advice, Briar. And we're we're running out of time, so I do want to make sure we we close with one final question. And and that question is, if you could give our listeners one piece of advice about building career confidence, what would it be? I have thought long and hard about this, and I would say this, and it's a long-winded answer, so just bear with me here. Career confidence or confidence in general comes from internal, not external. And a lot of people are constantly, number one, comparing themselves to others, and number two, judging their own value or worth based on the feedback that they're getting or the recognition or lack of recognition that they're getting from the people around them. And I will say the reason that I've been successful in my life is for some strange reason early on in my career or you know even my academic years, I constantly looked for myself to validate my own worth and what I was providing. And the reason I was able to do that is because I was constantly looking at how to contribute. And I think that for listeners, if you are struggling with feeling like an imposter or not knowing your value or saying I'm not good enough, it's because you're valuing external feedback more than your own. And if you focus on the bigger picture of how I can contribute to something, you're going to see for yourself how valuable you really are. I love this idea of really taking a look at yourself and and asking some of those questions. I I think that's such a great starting point. Well, Briar, I want to thank you so much for for joining us today, your personal stories of of growth and success. Uh, I just feel like there's so much to be learned from the example that you've set. So I so appreciate you, you being with us today. Oh, I loved it. I loved it. Thank you for having me. And Briar, before we wrap up today, uh, for listeners, especially who aren't Aggies and may not have access to any career services or resources, would you mind giving us just a brief overview of some of the services and and programs that you offer? Sure, sure. So for Career Organic, we have a lot of done-for-you services, which is resume writing, cover letters, LinkedIn profiles, bios, depending on, you know, the role. And then we also do the coaching services done for you. So it's one-on-one. We'll do career navigation. We'll do interview prep, uh, salary negotiations. And then we have our group coaching programs, which are amazing. Our career cram program was this career readiness. So it's for students, recent grads, and young professionals. And it is a group coaching setting, which I love because it's a collective learning environment. So it's monthly phone calls. It's a private LinkedIn group. And then we actually have an online website that has tons of information included. It's a monthly subscription. We're running a promo right now. It's $29 a month, but it's typically between $30 and $40 a month. And it gets people access that may not be able to do the done for you services. Perfect. For more information, you can visit the links below. Thanks for joining us here at the Career Studio today. Please remember to join us next week as we continue to discuss this month's theme of building career confidence.